and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, and welcome to episode six. Welcome back. Give yourselves a big pat on the back, a round of applause, however you want to congratulate yourself. You guys have now read six weeks of the Bible. That is a huge deal, and I'm so proud of you. I am so thankful, and I am so glad that you have joined me on your journey. Um, It just, it makes me super happy. So thank you so much. Uh, Since it has been six weeks, if you are brand new, uh, you can listen to my introduction episode, and it explains how the reading plan works and where to find it. It is the As It Happened reading plan on the U version which goes in chronological order. Anyway, saying all that, um, I am over my cold. Thanks for those who asked. I am feeling better. Um, so episode six, week six, we are in Exodus chapters 19 through 38. Our timeline is 1446 BC. Everything in these next chapters happens within the year. And I think that's very important. We're going to see that a lot. Because um, <laughs> anyway. All right, let's just jump right into it, shall we? So, starting in chapter 19, we see the Israelites go to Mount Sinai, and from there, God tells Moses about the promises and what has to happen, and the Israelites are like, oh yeah, we will do that. It is here. (laughs) Yes, so soon, I would like to interject and say that what is simple, aka following God's rules, is not necessarily easy. And we today have this weird concept that if it is simple, that means it is easy. And that is just not the case, especially if you have made Christ your Lord. It is simple. You follow him. Easy, not so much. I have yet to find one Christian that thinks the Christian life is easy. Simple, but not easy. So, uh, Kelly, side note. These next few chapters have to do with laws, observances, and general social norms and expectations. Most of us are born into this in our current societies, but the Israelites were about to embark on a place and society all their own, a society and government that they did not have outside of being slaves in Egypt. Furthermore, this would be a people whose leader was God himself. So what God tells Moses is how everyone should be governed in regard to not only each other, but themselves. And so we see at the end of chapter 19, God calls Moses to come near the mountain to bring Aaron. And here we see God give Moses the Ten Commandments. And the people are watching this. And to them, it is a huge, frightening storm. Moses is like, guys, it's God. It's cool. And they're like, yeah, buddy, uh, still going to stay at a distance. You know, I mean, who could blame them? That's all you saw. I'd be frightened too. Meanwhile, God makes a point to reiterate, do not make idols. He says, make an altar to me. I will bless you, but no idols. This is to address specific issues that will come up. So God gives out specific rules for how to handle male and female slaves and personal injuries. And another Kelly side note that when we are talking about slaves here, we are not talking about like what the Israelites just came through or came from. And we're not talking about the slavery connotations that we have today, um, such as the physical slavery that we had in the United States or where they have around the world. 
This is more like indentured servitude. So the people that would be classi- would be classified as slaves at this point are people that um, had no money, no protection, no property, and they were not forced into it. They just, this was the only position that they could get to get those things. And so it, I, I want to make it very clear that we are not talking about the same slavery. So when he talks about a slave here, it's not the same. It's more like an indentured servant. So God lays out his rules for protection of property and social duty, mainly to the most vulnerable in the society. And God addresses what justice and mercy look like in a society. He addresses how he wants the Sabbath to be observed, and he also talks about the festivals. Then he tells them that he is sending an angel to lead the way for them, and that this angel is going to fight and cause confusion for all the despicable nations that the Israelites will face as God has them go to the promised land. And we see once again how simple God's commands are. They ain't easy though. So as Moses writes down everything, the Israelites confirm that they understand exactly what God has said and are in full agreement that this is what they will do. And to confirm what was said and agreed upon, Moses sets up an altar and performs sacrifices. And once again, the people agree to it. Then Moses leaves and goes up to the mountain to be with God and leaves Joshua and her in charge. So God tells Moses to collect an offering from the people and what the offering should be. And you should see that it's different than the sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifices are very different from offerings. And then tells him that they will create a tabernacle for God to dwell among them. Then God lays out the template and design for the Ark of the Covenant and what should be in it. He explains that this is where he will be when he comes down. God goes further into how the table and the lampstand should be constructed, where it should be in the tabernacle. This continues what the tabernacle should look like, the material it should be made of, how it should be constructed, and how it should look. For those of you who can visualize visualize design, this is a fun chapter to read. For those of us who are like, what? Me. You can always Google for yourself, as that is what I do every single time. Anytime I read this chapter, anytime I read parts of Exodus, I'm like, oh, I wonder what this actually looked like. And then I'll go Google the images every time. So God goes further into the burnt offerings, the courtyard, and the oil for the lamp stand. Again, everything is in perfect detail and precise measurements. Then God gets into what the priests are and what they will wear. Now, this is where I like to be because fashion, I'm sure it has... I'm sure it was nothing like the fashion montage in Devil Wears Prada, but maybe a more of a montage of a designer sewing to come up with this perfect garment like in Project Runway, which aren't you glad it's back? Ugh, I love Christian Seriano. I have loved him since season five of the original Project Runway. Ah, fierce. I know it's fabulous now, but it was fierce then. Anyway, I digress. Again, you can Google as I do. And then I always pick out the renderings of the priestly garments that look the best to me. There's many, and a lot of them look the same, but I always pick out the one I think is the prettiest. Or the most manly. You know, whichever. Then we have the consecration of the priest. And the details may seem a bit overwhelming, but these men were going to be the go-between for the people and God. They had to live up to God's standards, and they had to be above reproach from the common man's issues. It also shows how this is a calling, and not just anyone can be a priest. Same thing today. We might not want our ministers to do the rituals of the Old Testament, but we hold them to a higher standard and with very good reason. God continues to go into detail how the altars will work, what products they will use, what God will accept for each area, and what he will not. 
And these are rules and understandings all Israelites will have. As God has instructed all of this to Moses, he also gives him the name of two people who can do the construction, Bezalel and Oholiab. <laughs> had, to, had to practice those, still not sure they're right. How good do you have to be, though, for God to choose you by name to build his tabernacle? Now, if only that kind of recommendation was available today, and I think any of us who had some rather than scrupulous characters encounters with people who were supposed to be helping us can have an amen here. Mm-hmm. But I digress. As God then explains how the day of rest, the Sabbath, should be observed. Now, at this time, as well as for Orthodox Jews today, the Sabbath is Saturday, starting on Friday night. So little does Moses know, he, while he's still with God, that the people got a little restless and they go to Aaron and say, hey, make us gods that we can follow them. And without missing one beat, Aaron is like, sure, bring me all your gold earrings. And then he melts that and makes it into a cow, a moo-moo, as my baby sister and I say when we see a cow in decorations, a freaking cow. Moses has not even been gone a month, not even a month. And these people are already like, build us an idol. Like God has iterated several times, do not make idols. And in less than 30 days, they've already given all their gold to make a cow. Now this just angers me beyond all reason, but I also have to keep in mind, I know I do this. It just doesn't look like this. So keep that in mind for yourself too. Ugh, arrow through the heart. Anyway, God, so while this is happening, God tells Moses, uh, buddy, you need to get down to your people because I am about ready to be done with them. I need you to leave me so my anger burns against them and not you. But Moses makes a plea to God, clearly not understanding this situation, which is good, and says to not forget that God gets the glory for what happened to bring them out of Egypt. You know, he's... he he did all of this. So don't destroy the people or what was it worth? And so God relents and doesn't bring disaster on them. And I personally would love to see this next scene in beautiful technicolor because I think many people are quick to dismiss poor Moses and his grace for the people here. He has spent all this time with God. God has given him the instructions of the tabernacle, how it's going to be, how he wants his people to be governed. And when he left them, they were all agreeing to follow God. In fact, he just pleaded for them. And the minute he gets down there and sees what those people are doing, he is livid, seething at the disrespect and stupidity of his own people that he throws down the Ten Commandment tablets that God himself wrote and breaks them takes that stupid golden cow and burns it in the fire. I do have to interject at this point and say, I personally probably would have given Clark Griswold a run for his money in the speech department. But Moses is like, that's it. And yells, whoever's for the Lord, you come to me. And the Levites are like, oh, thank goodness. And come running. Moses tells them to strap a sword to their sides and go back and forth through the camps and kill the ones who are participating in this crop. And they do. About 3,000 people die. Then, after Moses says, for those of you left, I'm going to God and see if I can make atonement for what you did. And then, the part that makes me laugh the most, gets to God and says, did you see what these people were doing? <laughs> As if God wasn't the one that said, hey, you might want to get down there, buddy. But anyway, God, <laughs> that just makes me giggle. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Moses is like, can you forgive them? If not, can you blot me out of the book? I'm assuming who wants to be known as the leader of this group? Oh, 
God says, whoever sinned, I will blot out of my book and I will punish them when the time is right. And boom, the time was right. And he sent a plague against them. So the dust is settled and God tells Moses to leave their current place and get walking toward the land of milk and honey. And then God delivers a burn that I think people can still feel as he goes, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. The people felt that. And thankfully mourned correctly and took off their ornaments. And Moses tells God, look, you have to come with us to the promised land. I can't do this without you. And how will people know that you did this if you don't come with us? And then God says, okay. And then Moses goes, I want to see your glory too. And God says, cool beans. I'll pass by you, but I will cover your face because you can't look at me. So you may be asking why. Well, it is because God cannot look on sin. We're sinful, so if we see him while alive, we will be dead. Right there, no ands, no ifs, no buts. Dead, just dead. So after God tells Moses to meet him in the morning, they are going to rewrite the Ten Commandments on new tablets, since Moses broke the originals. Moses meets God again, and in his presence, Moses just breaks down in love and adoration for God and praises him for everything that God is. And if you've never had the pleasure of doing that, I highly recommend it. Um, usually it's when you just have this overwhelming feeling of gratitude and joy. When you do just praise God, just be like, oh, it's a great, I can't describe it in accurate words, but I I think you will know why we're gushing and why Moses gushed when you get to do it. Highly recommend it. So God tells Moses, look, I'm going to make a covenant with you and the people. God says, obey me and I'm going to drive out your enemies and then list a crap ton of them. He says, not only will I drive them out, but you are not to make a treaty with them. Basically become friendly with them or you will fall into their ways. Smash all their altars, sacred stones, asherah poles, and do not make any idols. Kelly, side note. No one, and I by no one I mean scholars, not me personally, is for sure what were on these asherah poles, except that they were some sort of groove or carving into the wood or stone. Um, it would represent the pagan gods and rituals, which would have been against God and his commands. It could be like they think it could have been the worship of nature, explicit sexual images, human sacrifice. No one is for sure, but the point of them was that they were symbolic of the culture of these pagans. So, end Kelly's side note. God goes on to say that we that they will celebrate the festival of unleavened bread and that the firstborns of anything born to the Israelites belong to God and that they are not to come to him empty handed. And then he tells him that they are to work six days and on the seventh day they are to rest. And as a lover of naps, this one is my favorite command. He also goes on to explain how they are to celebrate the other festivals. Then after what was a great time with God, Moses comes down the mountain and his face was so radiant that the people could not look at him. So it came to be that anytime God was talking with Moses, he could remove his veil and then he had to put it back on anytime he was talking to the people. And I want you to take note that talking to God now may not physically make you radiate like Moses, but there will be a shine to you and one that people can't explain, but there will be. We finish up the commands and see all the material needed for the tabernacle and Moses meeting with the two men God personally suggested for the task. 
And as the men are constructing the tabernacle, we get the sacrifice of what will go inside the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense. This follows where we see the altar of burnt offering, the basin for washing in the courtyard. And then as in a receipt-like fashion, we see all the material used in the cost. And well, I'm glad God is footing the bill because dying, or as Kathleen Light says, death suspensive. Um, so that's where we leave off, kids. Uh, whew, there's a lot going on. Granted, not as much as there was last week, but you know, that's easy to do when you're not talking about the 10 plagues of Egypt. So join me next week. We're going to keep up with Moses and see what the Israelites do, good, bad, or indifferent. I think you can guess at this point what they're doing. But anyway, I hope you guys have a most fabulous week and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.